The FT. Britain is at the midway point of an austerity program that is intended to bring down the deficit. However, as the FT pointed out in a series of articles recently, the cuts that lay ahead are set to be worse than those that have been imposed so far, and politicians have not been forthcoming about the pain that lies ahead or the choices the electorate faces. We asked FT readers to put their questions about the series to our economics editor Chris Giles, who will be answering some of them on this show. I'm Michael Stott, the FT's UK news editor, and Chris is with me here in the studio. Thanks for coming in, Chris. Our first question is from a pupil who is in his final year of school and is completing an extended project on the austerity measures used in the UK. Hi there, I'm Daniel Wookie, and my question for Chris is: How successful do you think austerity has been, and was it necessary? I think the second part of the question is easy to answer. Yes, it was necessary at the start of 2010 or in 2009-10. We were borrowing as a country one pound in every four that the government spent. This was meaning that our public sector debt was rising at very, very rapid levels, and you just cannot keep that going for very long. So the austerity measures were necessary. How successful have they been? Well, I think that there's two ways you can measure that. On one way,、um, the government has stuck to its spending targets in cash terms very successfully, and many people didn't think that was a foregone conclusion in 2010. So so far, I think in terms of actually hitting the spending targets, it's been very successful. In terms of cutting the deficit, unfortunately, it hasn't been nearly so successful, and that is because We have learnt over time that actually the hole in our public finances is bigger and more prevalent than we thought in 2010. So the job is much bigger, and there's more to do than we had hoped. So there's a slightly mixed answer to that. On one level, yes, very successful. On another level, there's actually a lot more to do. Thank you, Chris. Our next questioner queried our use of terminology. Andrew Fraser, what does the FT mean by austerity? When it applies to a period in which our national debt has roughly doubled, our debt has gone up very quickly in this period.、Um, it was always going to because we're bringing borrowing down from a very high level. So you are going to get the situation that as you do that, first the debt still keeps growing but grows at a slower rate and is expected to peak as a share of national income. In 2015-16, and then begin to fall as a share of national income, but it will still be rising in cash terms for some time yet, and we don't think there'll be a reduction in the actual overall level of debt until 2018-19 on current plans. Why do you call it austerity in these circumstances? Because government departments have had to cut a lot of their budgets just to keep debt from rising much faster. So it relates to what's happening to government departments, to the capital spending and the cash spending in this parliament. And next Parliament to very much just the cash day-to-day spending; those are being cut much more significantly than has been historically the case. In fact, we are going through an unprecedented period of public sector restraint in government departments over the last few years and the prospectively the next few years. So that's why we call it austerity. Thank you, Chris. Our next questioner had a question about using monetary policy to ease the deficit. My name is Howard Richmond. My question for Chris is: Why does the government not fund the deficit directly with money created by the Bank of England using quantitative easing? If Lord Adair Turner 
and the FT's own Martin Wolf support the idea, it can surely no longer be treated as a fringe view. Indeed, is it not true that this has already been done indirectly and that the UK government bonds bought by the Bank of England from private banks under QE have had the interest payments payable by the Treasury remitted? This is still quite a fringe view. It is not an outlandish view, I don't think. Why are we not thinking of sort of flying helicopters over the country and dumping a load of sterling we've just printed into everyone's pockets? I think the answer to that question is that even though this is really talked about quite seriously for countries like Japan or even the Eurozone, where there is definitively a problem with demand, that people aren't getting spending going fast enough, and yet there's still huge spare capacity, that doesn't apply so much in the UK. The big problem with the UK is that we've nearly got full employment. We're back at unemployment levels of 6%. Maybe it can fall to 5 or maybe 45 even. But we don't have a huge problem with demand when the economy is growing at 3.5%. We have a problem that even with these circumstances, we still have a very large deficit. So that is why it wouldn't be obviously the right time to think about printing money and flooding the UK with it. Thank you, Chris. Now, we had a number of readers asking questions about tax, and that's the topic for our next one. Hi, uh, I'm Don Probin. This is my question for Chris. Why is the question, should we increase corporation tax, not on the agenda for reducing the deficit? Britain has a much lower rate than international and European peers. The question about corporation tax is that it can easily be on the agenda if any political party wanted to put it on the agenda. There is no magic about cutting spending rather than raising tax. You can have arguments about which is most effective and which might have more damaging economic effects. And within taxation, there can be great differences and within public spending likewise. The issue about corporate tax in particular is often an international issue. There is a broad trend of lower rates internationally and it is seen as something that is attractive to companies to come here which we believe would tend to increase investment in the UK economy when I say we I think that's the general not me or the FT that is the general view of the UK and so that's why corporate taxes generally haven't been on the agenda for raising very significant amounts of revenue corporation tax is still one of the largest taxes it's behind income tax national insurance and VAT but it is I think the fourth largest tax and it is likely to remain so so it's still a significant revenue generator but as the fourth largest tax is never going to be the answer to the budget deficit on its own. Thank you, Chris, for that answer. We have another question about tax now, this time a broader one. I'm uh, Jonathan Storey, and my question is, what is the profile of a simplified tax regime, in your view, that would raise more revenue than under the present regime? If you wanted to raise more revenue permanently with a simplified regime, actually you would have to hope that your simplified regime increased the overall scope for the economy to produce goods and services so that it created greater efficiencies in the economy. And I think that's um, it's pretty clear that you could have a more efficient British economy with a better tax system. It would mean taxing things that are bad more, like congestion, road pricing, those sorts of things, probably taxing land more heavily. 
you know, we have a political system and we live in a democracy where many of these things are deemed too difficult to do. And we'd have a more simplified income tax and national insurance system. Certainly we'd have one tax rather than two, which have complicated and differing rates at different parts of the income scale. If you did have a pure, perfect tax system, it's hard to know how much better the UK economy would be. But the Institute for Fiscal Studies in the Murleys review a couple of years ago suggested that the numbers would be quite sizable. So I think you could envisage a series of steps, and you wouldn't ever get there immediately, a steps to improve the tax system where you would actually have a more efficient economy. And then that would mean that you might have to do less austerity or raise taxes in other areas. Again, I don't think this is the answer to the austerity question. Actually, the big thing is that we found ourselves to be persistently poorer than we hoped we would be back in 2007-2008, and that's why we're having to make cuts. And that's the big story. Improving the system of taxation could help, but it certainly wouldn't mean that we didn't have to do those difficult things anyway. Thank you, Chris. Another reader had a question about reallocating the international aid budget. I'm Jonathan Alderman. Hi, Chris. Could you estimate the potential savings that could be made if we scrapped the international aid budget and reallocated that money to help protect other departments? What amount of extra cuts would be needed still? Well, off the top of my head, I can't exactly remember the international aid budget, but we spend as a nation 0.7% of gross national income on international aid, and gross national income is somewhere in the region of £1,700 billion a year. So we're talking at 0.7% of that at a number around 10, 11, 12 billion pounds. So if we have a, a whole of 48 billion in terms of spending cuts, we could do between a fifth and a quarter of that if we were to scrap the international aid budget entirely. There are obviously some downsides in doing that. A number of readers raised the issue of how much money the Treasury could claw back by cracking down on tax avoidance. This is the subject of our next question. My name is uh, Professor Todd Huffman at Oxford University. And the question I have is, the numbers regarding deficits often hover around figures that were presented in um, in the article, uh, which was around 75 billion pounds. In other Financial Times articles, though, which detail the levels of taxes avoided, they come up with something like tens of billions of pounds a year. And in fact, an article that I'd found gave a figure of 35 billion, although in a different paper, gave a figure of 35 billion in 2012 alone. So recovering this revenue is, I suspect, a very popular idea across party lines. Uh, I was wondering why these low-hanging fruit are seem to never seriously be discussed. That's a good question. There is a figure around 30 to 40 billion pounds, which comes from the HM Revenue and Customs, called the tax gap, which is a theoretical gap between what could be collected and what is collected. I think it's more theoretical than real, and that's why it's not discussed so much realistically, because if there was an ability to just clamp down on avoidance and get money off tax avoiders painlessly and easily, I can tell you it would be done. The problem often is that that money doesn't entirely exist in a way that's ever collectible, because quite often it will be hot money, which is sort of internationally there, which is only sort of parked in the UK. And so if government ever tried to recover tax from that money, it would suddenly find that that money was no longer in the UK and that money, the tax wasn't actually there. So I think it's really much more of a theoretical number than a real number. So unfortunately, there isn't a 
simple pot of gold out there waiting to be collected if only our government was a bit less kind to tax avoiders. Thanks, Chris. And finally, our last question is uh, about growth. I'm Steve Jordan, and my question is, so we either have exceptional growth or serious pain in the public sector for years. Is there a credible scenario that gives us high growth over the next few years? There is a scenario that gives us very high growth over the next few years, which is that productivity growth comes back. So instead of having unemployment falling very rapidly, so fast growth like we've had in the last few years and unemployment falling very rapidly until there is no more spare labour to soak up, we actually become more efficient as a country and we have the same number of employees producing significantly more. That is what we used to have in the UK and which what we haven't had since 2008. If productivity growth comes back with a vengeance, so we, instead of having zero or even losses in productivity, then things can look better quite quickly. It's very, very difficult to predict that and to plan on that basis because we have been disappointed by productivity growth every quarter, almost without exception, since 2008. And there's quite good reasons we now know underlying why productivity has not grown, partly because it was artificially inflated by the financial sector and the oil sector, but also some other sectors. And so it would be not realistic to assume that it's going to come back. So then you actually asked me whether there was a credible scenario, not just whether there was a scenario, and I think there is not a credible scenario yet, although we do have to keep our minds open to the fact that things do sometimes turn up and productivity growth will be the thing that, if it comes back, everyone will be delighted. Well, that's all we have time for today. Many thanks to you, Chris, for answering all of the questions and thanks to all the readers who sent in their questions. And just a reminder, you can see... All of the FT's articles on Britain and the Cuts, our special series, on FT.com under the in-depth section. Thank you from London. For more downloads, go to FT.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.